And welcome to the third episode of the new Bloomberg Politics Podcast, Culture Caucus. I'm John Heilman. And I'm Will Leach. Are we still new? I think we're in three now. New-ish. Three is established. New-ish. Three I'm actually ready to retire. You think we're, we're an three. institution now? <laughs> yeah. We're like basically oh, like a cornerstone. We're like the jo- like Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. We've become a part of the fabric of American life. People are all going around their computers together. Families right. sitting together. The electronic hearth. This yes, is exactly. like the, This is turning the podcast into if, the if new... We, Electronic, electronic if we wanted car. to cause trouble, we could Orson Welles this and oh like totally God. say there's a, uh, a Martian invasion coming. Yeah. And people would be like, oh, well, let's with not, this trusted American institution, why not, would they lie to us? Let's not do that, Will. <laughs> we don't want to put one over on the American people. Fair enough. Fair that, enough. Would go, that would contradict your kind of hardy boys, earnest kind of Midwestern. I mean nothing but well. Think author. of me as the Encyclopedia Brown. Okay. Awesome. All right. So we are um, doing this podcast from... Iowa from Des Moines, where we are um, here to attend the Iowa caucuses. By the time anybody listens to this, we will know the uh, results of the Iowa caucuses. So we're not going to talk about yeah. that today. We don't know that. We don't know. That's correct. You we listeners are from the future. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> you right. You come to us from the future. There's a little, Tell us. There's a little tri- time travel aspect here. <laughs> if we did a phone in right now and the listeners on Friday called in to tell us who won, it would really... Yeah. Really do our heads in, yeah, or like, or or they're or they're going to be listening to this podcast, being like, oh wait, that's that Will Leach guy that was uh, that was hit by three buses simultaneously on Wednesday. This was his last his last moment. Why well, his last testament? We can go into the time capsule anyway. We so we are going to be since this time this this time capsule this since this podcast is going to be released on Friday. Uh, it's going to be just forty eight hours, really, maybe yeah, roughly a little over forty eight hours before one of the great American cultural institutions and one that has an increasingly interesting political cast to it and that is the Super Bowl. Will, you're going to the Super Bowl this year, right? You always yep. go. Yeah, I always go. This is my, I think this is my sixth or seventh uh, Super Bowl and it really does get bigger every year. Uh, you know, I'm one of the one of the things about the Super Bowl now is the, the, the idea that the way Americans consume media has changed so much over the time in the age of DVR and the age of streaming and so on that sports has become have become unnaturally powerful in the world of television because yeah. it's the one thing that people all sit down and do and watch together. It's the it's the clo- other than this podcast. It's the one thing that families right. come together <laughs> and all experience at once. And because of that, the Super Bowl, which has always, of course, been the biggest event of the year, has become even more mammoth. I think it uh, I, as of now, I think eight of Eight of the top ten or nine of the top ten rated shows of all time are Super Bowls, and I'm sure this will. And this year, in particular, because it is Super Bowl Fifty, this is the one that they have been promoting. This is the one they're not even using Roman numerals for. That right. is actually how serious they are uh, about this one. So it has become a way for now. It's become a tradition. For example, that President Obama always gives an interview before every Super Bowl. That was not always a thing that happened, but now it's become just, I'm, I'm certain that whoever wins and is president next year will do the same thing to the point that this has now become a tradition, that there will be almost a fireside chat before the Super Bowl about, last year was about uh, whether right. he likes guacamole yeah. or uh, and whether he was going to endorse Biden or Clinton. I'd like to see him in a cardigan for this. You know, for <laughs> That'd be good. Kind of like, I like, like yeah. Jimmy Carter I style. I think he would rock a cardigan pretty well. So here's the thing. Okay, so uh, on one hand, it's the most natural thing in the world, the idea that the president president um, should do a interview at the Super Bowl, given what you just said about the just the sheer magnitude of it and the viewership. There's you know many, many people watching. It's a great opportunity to be able to reach an unprecedentedly large number of people, or at least a vast number of people, right? But it's more than that, it seems to me. The, 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 there is now 
in the era since uh, baby boomers and post-baby boomers have become presidents of the United States, which basically Clinton, Bush, and Obama, all of our presidents have had a really deep attachment to sports, broadly speaking, and also, and, and in particular, to football. So we'll just talk about, I think we'll talk about that. I find, one of the things that I find so interesting about the way that President Obama relates to sports is that it is, for a guy who is in many ways an elusive figure, a guy who people have struggled to get their arms around in terms of like what he's really like, who he really is, um, beyond being preternaturally cool and obviously cerebral, sports to me uh, opens a window um, that provides a picture of Obama that seems to me uncommonly authentic. You kind of listen to him talk about sports, you're like, oh, I know that guy. Um, So talk about that a little bit, about the way in which we have come to know President Obama through the his talk about sports, through the way he fills out his bracket obsessively every year, um, through these interviews like the one he's going to do at the Super Bowl uh, on Sunday with Gail King, I believe. Yeah, it's always I, I always find it a little almost disconcerting and impressive that he, you know, obviously filling out the bracket is something that now it's a regular TV show. Andy Katz from ESPN, uh, who actually also plays in those basketball games with Obama, is now g- come into that circle to do that. Uh, so I'll tell you how much, like this is a not, not a Chris Berman top-tier ESPN personality, but Obama cares so much about college basketball <laughs> that like the beat reporter he gets to be invited to, to the games. But when he does those interviews, he's so... As long so, as it's not Chris Broussard, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I doubt Broussard's getting the invite. Yeah. Um, but it's impressive that he does – there's a base of knowledge about college basketball that is pretty impressive, particularly at a time where college basketball, frankly, has started to decline in popularity for a variety of reasons. When you see him do the bracket, there is – there's not just like one or two talking points. I right. think at one point uh, a couple of years ago, he seemed to know who LSU's backup point guard was, which right. must have been very exciting for the point guard. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, wow, right. probably, I, yeah. most of the people I'm like out of school with don't know who I am. And there is a, a – you know, even even with his favorite teams, for example, like, you know, he, when he throws the first pitch at the, uh, at the All-Star game, he's wearing a White Sox jersey, even yes. though the White Sox were terrible. You know, and, Although, let's be clear, it would be better for all of us President Obama, most especially if he never threw out the first pitch at another baseball game, because it is not a pretty picture. No, I think that was also the mom jeans time that he was wearing the mom jeans. There was that. There was that issue too. But there, there is. You're right, and like it is. It is something. You know, even when he gave his big speech in '04, he's like, "I'm LeBron. I'm LeBron, baby. I'm bringing." Like there is a way that he sees the world at the Democratic convention in 2004. Yes, yes, and. Clearly, he relates to it in that right. way. Instead, you know, he's a, he's famously a huge Bulls fan. Michael Jordan is a refer- reference point as well. It is something that a guy that's not known for being emotional has shown to, to have considerable emotion about. Yeah, and I, and I do think the things that you're saying about the depth of knowledge is really important because, you know, uh, politicians are rightly uh, regarded by many Americans as being frauds and phonies yeah. in a lot of ways. And there are many things for which they express affection or enthusiasm that it's obviously fake, right? So it's always interesting when a president or any politician, when you catch them, so to speak, genuinely immersed in something where you're like, that's the real deal. That guy actually knows a lot. He knows more than me about this topic. He's not faking it. Sports is really hard to fake. I mean, famously Hillary. (laughs) Like, is she a Yankees fan? Is she a Cubs fan? I think she's actually been caught saying on a Yankees broadcast, I love for the Yankees fan. And she's with Harry Carey and she's a Cubs fan. And I think it's it's because Hillary Clinton is probably not that big of a sports fan. And there is a performative aspect to it that he doesn't have. Like, there is an actual understanding. You know, if you remember... 
like one of his first real national appearances was on Monday Night Football. Yes. Uh, wearing wearing a bear. I think I think he was wearing the old Ditka Bears sweater. Like right. It was it was a full board. Like it actually even showed a level of knowledge other than put on this Bears hat. Right. And so on. And you know the in 2008 the last the last interview yeah. that they did was him and him and John McCain talking to Chris Berman. It's weird to live in a world where the final word right. before the biggest election of our time uh, came from Chris Berman. But so it's a, it's a genuine thing that I think used to be more of a, well, I'm talking to the beer drinking, regular American right. market, but now sports is so mad. It, it, it's such a wide variety thing that it's not, it's just, it's just a natural thing. It says more about you than necessarily who you're going after. Right. I mean, that's a very, that's an incredibly important point. It seems to me. I mean, sports has obviously been geekified in a lot of ways, right? There are tons of kind of nerdy kids who never played sports whatsoever. They were not jocks. They were yeah. not high school. They're athletes. Harvard MBAs that run the teams. Now. Yes. And they, and yeah. they, but they are obsessed with it because yeah. stats are so important um, because they, um, because of the fact that there's been so much now quantitative analysis applied, um, there are so many m more rigorous ways of thinking about sports that you can be. There's, there's not by, you're not being a, be, for a politician to be a, a vocal or or obvious kind of a, um, a conspicuous sports fan is not seen as like pandering to the Bubba yeah. vote or whatever. You can be. You know, the, the, the Bubba vote is not exclusively the province of sport now, right? right? right. It's the province of intellectuals. It's right. the province of business people, of technologists, of everything. It's all kind of, you're, 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 if you're a fan, you're a fan. And so you're, if your genuine enthusiasm for sports comes through, it's not seen as pandering as long as the enthusiasm is right. backed up by actual knowledge. And Obama, I think, really benefits from that because, you know, obviously sports is our natural national religion, football most particularly. But... I think for Obama, a guy who, again, for a lot of people have struggled to have feel as though they have an emotional connection yeah. to him, that he doesn't seem like a regular guy. In this instance, he seems, you know, just like a lot of people you know. You know, he's you know, it's telling, too, again, to look at when people get this wrong. Uh, Jeb Bush, was, I live in Athens, Georgia, and Jeb Bush came to a Georgia football game this year, and there was uh, there was a, he had a banner going over the stadium saying support Jeb's tax plan or so on and on, and he famously was very awkward, clearly did not know very much about college football, and I think it spoke to a larger thing about him. And I think that is, you're right, that is the major difference is now it is, like, I don't think anybody cares if, Donald Trump doesn't know anything about sports. Right. Just don't pretend that you know anything about right, sports. Right, correct. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, and you know, it's interesting, I said a second ago that I thought that, that Bush and, uh, you know, Clinton and Bush both were like this in different ways. Although it seems to me that they were ratcheting up, you know, there was like Clinton was, you know, someone who actually kind of had the, the, the physical, yeah. uh, he has all the physical mannerisms of a jock, although he, he looks was like not, a sports fan, right? although he was not one. Well, he also just, yeah. he, he has that weird, like kind of, he has the bearing of a high school quarterback yeah, you know yeah. he has that physicality yeah. of, mm -hmm. of of someone who played sports although he was not a big jock in fact in high school um, you then have you know George W. Bush who is a genuine athlete and, and you know, someone who you know runs uh, and mountain bikes and mm -hmm. does all that kind of stuff but also was a big obviously you know was involved in professional baseball right. at a very a very significant Tra traded Sammy Sosa at a very significant <laughs> level and then you've got Barack Obama uh, you know I wonder whether there will ever, ever be another president who who you know you raise Trump you know, is it possible to be a president now in America uh, who, who really disclaims sports, who has no interest in it? They may be authentic right. in their d lack of interest, but does that, is that almost disqualifying now if you to be a presidential, a potential president who basically says, I don't like sports, I don't care about sports, and I'm not going to talk about sports or try to relate to sports fans? Uh, I would like to see 
I, I think it would be it would be a level of honesty. I don't know if like I, Trump, I it would be he'd be the one that would do it because right. he doesn't really like even his ventures into sports have been disasters. The USFL being, of course, the most famous example right. of that. But of course, he's very good friends with Tom Brady and very good friends with uh, with Peyton Manning. That that was his new uh, uh, now. It was Tom Brady, and now he's right. very good friends with with Peyton Manning. Yes. So I think that you know, I, and for the record, I actually have no doubt that that's probably true. Like well, in the way that celebrities are friends with one yes. another. Yeah, you got to put the big, right. huge <laughs> right. quotation marks. That they saw friends. each other once and. And, and now, yes, and now, now they're friends. Now they're friends. But I, I do think that they're, they're, it's just not as performative as right. it used to be. And I think that is, that's a positive thing. And it's, it's funny, too, because, you know, there's the great tradition of after a team wins a championship, right. they go to the White House. Yep. And, it becomes like a thing. and now, I mean, uh, every team does it. Whether you, I think you see, like, the w- team that wins the women's golf championship going to the White House. It has become... It feels like it would take up too much of the president's time. Right. The number of people right. that you actually right. have to congratulate. But uh, uh, I do think that, you know, it, it's gone past the point where you can just make one line, a Bob Hope-esque one-liner right. about it and move on. You do have to kind of have that understanding. I mean, it is amazing, actually, if you think about it. And literally, the first time I've thought about it is this very moment. As we sit here in Iowa at the Des Moines uh, Media Center for the 2008, 2016 Iowa caucuses, you think about the four potential people who could win in the Iowa caucuses and, and are, in some ways, the kind of leading candidates at this mm-hmm. moment, right? Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Bernie Sanders, and Hillary Clinton. As far as I know, none of those people have any real, genuine, deep interest in sports, right? I mean, there are there are candidates who do have a deep yeah, interest like in sports. Yeah, like we include Rubio. He's like live-tweeted the Super Bowl a couple Marco, years ago. Marco Rubio Loves does. the Dolphins, married a cheerleader. Right. Yeah, but yes. Well, that's not necessarily love well, yeah. sports. <laughs> married exactly. a cheerleader of his favorite team. Yes, so there that's you go. So key. He, that's a key differentiator. <laughs> yeah, he would have never married a New York Jets cheerleader, but right. a Miami Dolphins cheerleader. But, you know, so. you got Rubio. There, Chris Christie's a real sports fan. There are some sports yeah. fans in the field. But of these four, yeah. you could imagine a presidential election of one of these four guys, and four, three guys and one lady are one are the nominees um you could imagine a sort of sports free presidential election or one in which any s- connection to sport would be utterly fraudulent and and when they do those interviews before the super bowl as they will do just like uh, there's just no way that that tradition is going to stop now right. like now that obama has started that they will do those interviews obama is believable when he does them and they won't be which is to me is that which is fine like because you know those things don't really have to necessarily be about sports. I think one of the most famous interviews ever during a major sporting event was when Bob Costas interviewed uh, George W. Bush uh, during the, uh, the 2008 Olympics. And it was, right. this was a very combative time and a very difficult time for Bush. And Costas, I think, handled that interview incredibly well. And uh, he may have been one of the unique few personalities to be able to cross over from both sports and, and be able to have a serious conversation about that. Our later guest could be another one someday. Yeah. But uh, certainly the idea of being able, like, that that interview was massive because it was not on a political program. By the way, I don't want to like go on a total tangent here, although that really is what podcasts are for. But what is it you have against Bob Costas? I have nothing against Bob Costas. You, I have actually nothing do, against Bob Costas. You do. I do not. You have are famously, according to Bob Costas, a hater of Bob Costas. That is Why not is true. that? That is not true. I wrote a, a piece one time about my. I would famously, famously, I was on his old show Costas Now, which was a uh, HBO show yeah. that uh, I and Buzz Bissinger, the wonderful Pulitzer Prize winning author yeah. Buzz Bissinger, in the very early days of the internet yeah uh, i was the physical representation of the internet in a way that uh, i did not necessarily feel comfortable with being and uh i felt and i wrote uh i, I believe a very accurate piece uh for new york magazine about uh how that situation which, which buzz had a little bit of a uh some would call it a meltdown i would say he was very emotional about his point uh right. 
I believe that may have been staged to in a situation that was unfair to Buzz by by Bob. So I wrote about that in that situation. But that does not mean I do not think that he does a great job or that he's a good broadcaster. Uh, but I do not think that that uh, delineation of my viewpoint. I think that may have been lost on Bob. I didn't think I didn't think that was that was really that upfront of a thing. I will know. say that if you think about the reigning metaphors for the internet, you know, um, as you think about a physical manifestation of the internet. There are two real possibilities. One is a series of tubes, mm -hmm. and the other is Will Leach. Yeah, you know, which I, I am you also a series of tubes. Right. You <laughs> <say>. <laughs> it's uh, underneath there. You, you look inside me. It's just nothing but tubes. So th what you're about, before we talk to our guest, mm -hmm. who's going to be on here very soon, the great, great, great Willie Geist, and we'll talk more about the Super Bowl, you, as you head off to go to the Super Bowl mm -hmm. yourself, Will, what is it that, like, what's it like for you? What do you dig about it? What's the... What's the what, what's the well, why is it so compelling to you that you feel like you need to go back every year? Not just because it's your yeah. job and right, because yeah. you write about sports, but like what is it about it that's so amazing? You know, one of the things that's been really fun for me. This is my first caucus I've covered. I've never done this before, right. and so you know, I see. And you you have a level of enthusiasm that is impressive to be able to do this. But you know, sometimes you see some political reporters who have done this for a very long time, and they're like, ugh, another caucus. I can't do another caucus. But to me, I'm just having a blast. I can't believe I, I, I get to do this. I feel like the Super Bowl is that. Like I feel like if you can't go to the Super Bowl, this massive cultural event that, that everyone, everyone I tell here I'm going to the Super Bowl, they're like, oh, lucky you, tough job. Right. And a lot of sports reporters would hear that and be like, oh, I can't go to another Super Bowl, it's miserable. And to me, this is, one of the things I love to do is to go to the Super Bowl City, which is this terrible thing that it's the, it's the basically it's this NFL promotional arm where they sell all this junk and it's just and they charge you fifty dollars to buy a eight dollar Diet Pepsi and it's just a, a money making hoovering enterprise, and then you go in there and fans are absolutely completely unjaded and uncynical about it. They just love it. Like they they go in and they embrace it in a way that I think is refreshing. For someone like me who spends a lot of time writing, writing about sports and being around other sports people, it's refreshing for me to see the people walking around that can't believe I'm at the Super Bowl right now. And right. I feel like that is – I find it professionally refreshing to do that. I find it encouraging. And even if I ever get worn down by the Roger Goodell press conference, which is always one of the most depressing parts of Super Bowl weeks, anytime you ever get uh, worn down by that – the game itself is such a spectacle. The games have been so good over the last few right. years, with the exception of the New York game, uh, that to me, you know, it's the Super Bowl is America and, and it's distilled id form. And uh, it's, it's an exciting thing to get to still be a part of. It's weird to me. I mean, I, there's no doubt that, that football, by almost every metric, is now America's game and not yeah. baseball or, or, or basketball at the professional level. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But it's weird to me the extent to which the Super Bowl has become this event that just dwarfs as a, as a spectacle, as a week-long thing or however long it goes on, you know, uh, that just dwarfs the World Series yeah. or the NBA Finals. I mean, I mean there's, honestly, there's really nothing, I mean, there, there's yeah. nothing like it. I mean, it dwarfs football in a lot of ways. Right. Like, it's so massive now that football, which is, of course, this incredibly well-rated thing, the Super Bowl itself is just, it, it, like, it is the sporting event that people that do not care about sports whatsoever still watch. All right. Uh, that is a good explanation. Thank you for that, Will. Um, it. Is it probably about time to bring in our guest? What do you think about that? I would be. I'm very excited to. Uh, to uh, what, wait, what? What did you say his name was again? Uh, Geist. Geist. William Geist. Geist. Let's bring Willie Geist into this conversation. Come on in, man. Moving into the second phase of our podcast, known as. 
Culture Caucus here on BloombergPolitics.com. I'm John Heilman. And I'm Will Leach. Still Culture Caucusing. We're still Culture Caucusing. We're bringing in our guest, William Geist, a famous television personality, raconteur, mm. um, uh, adult film star, all the things. You know, he's done a lot of things. I wouldn't say star. I wouldn't say star. I wouldn't say star, but you, you know what? You're, you're a good character actor. I w- <laughs> I'm the guy with the mustache just walking yeah. in the background. Oh, it's that guy. Yeah, yeah. you're the that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, Hamid, I'm a little thrown by your NPR voice on the podcast because it's not your usual volume, which is... Louder? Uh, slightly louder. Louder? Yeah. Yeah, you like it louder? Yeah. It's just really, I'm just at this moment just so exhausted that this yeah. is really yeah, no, pretty I, much I, the I best I can do at this <laughs> moment. Can you guys believe Pataki won Iowa? It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, like it was weird because they had to find him. I, right, he wasn't <laughs> running anymore. <laughs> they had to find. He was out in in, in the Caribbean somewhere. It did. It the, did freak me out the other night when we did the uh, Bloomer Politics Des Moines Register Iowa poll uh, unveiling of the final most important poll, the caucus, the last big poll, the caucus, and and Jim Webb was right up there competing with Lincoln Chafee for the top spot on the Democratic yeah. side. It freaked everybody out right. in the room. I'll tell you, they're the all like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" No, it's incredible. That's it. Okay, so Willie, here's my thing with you. Uh, let's begin with this. Mm. You are a man of, of, of myriad and ecumenical interests. Um, two of them are sports cool and politics, right? Sure. So you went to Vanderbilt. I did. Um, is that where your sports love took root? Or did you, uh, no. were you a high school athlete? I don't even know. I don't really even know this particular part of your history. It's funny. I'm sitting next to Will Leach because my sports insanity took hold from the University of Illinois, where my parents went and where Will Leach went. Yeah. Um, from a very young age, I was sitting watching Illinois basketball, football, growing up in New Jersey with Chief Illini Weck wallpaper in my bedroom, which no kid in New Jersey understood, no matter how hard I tried to explain it. Um, I went to Lou Henson's basketball camp every summer. My grandmother wow. lived in Champaign. I'd fly from New Jersey, stay with her for two weeks. Man, Sweet Lou Henson. Oh, okay. Kenny Battle was my counselor one that's year. That's the thing. Oh, see, that was like the great time. That was a good year. Now oh. is not a great time. No, now but is not a great time. But that was a wonderful time of Kenny Battle, the flying Illini. Those and that also best. like was the peak. College basketball was really starting to, like Dick Vitale was becoming exactly. a national character. Yeah. It was like a huge time for college basketball. And Illinois was at the top of it. They were number one. They should have won the whole thing that year, but that's yeah. a story for another day. But anyway, so it was <laughs> it was Illinois basketball and football. This and we're gonna geek out like crazy. On yeah, yeah. We're we, fighting we, a line. You know, he was on my, he was actually on on my personal podcast a, a, a few years ago, and like literally, it just everyone was like, "Well, is he gonna talk about NBC? What's it like over there?" We just talked <laughs> Illinois basketball <laughs> and Doug Altenberger for like uh, forty-five minutes. It I must have been Irvin Small. Irvin Small. Irvin Small. When I think about the definition of compelling content, that's pretty much right at the top of my list. That one did very well. I think SportsNet actually deleted it from the internet. They're like, yeah, just like people are. We're still gonna get angry emails. You can't even find that on the Wayback Machine, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I was Illini, then I played sports growing up, yep. football, basketball, baseball, yep. high school football, high school basketball, captain of both teams, right. was going to play Division three, but then decided just to go to Vanderbilt because I was going to have more fun there than going to some small school in a small town. And uh, then I got to watch SEC sports, yeah. watch us get our asses whipped mm-hmm. by Tennessee and Georgia and Florida. Okay. And have you? Did you have the aspiration? And after, like all of us are very sport. Almost all of us are sports. Any yeah. fantasies we have about playing sports in any serious way go away. Did you have an aspiration early to be a broadcaster, a sports broadcaster? Do you ever want to call games? Is that ever anything you were interested? You, you know what? It's funny you ask that. We would watch. Um, my dad and I would watch Yankee games on WPIX Channel Eleven in New York, and I was as interested in Scooter and Bill White, how they called the game, as I was what was happening in the game. Like, yeah. How'd they read the do-ups yeah, for the yeah. next inning? Obviously, Scooter was a thing unto himself, like when he would 
they'd take a shot of the bullpen on the monitor, some guy warming up in the bullpen, and screw it or go, oh, White, looks like they got a new pitcher in there. And White would go, nope. No, that's a shot of the bullpen, uh, Scooter, because yeah, yeah. he just never knew yeah, what was right. going on. Or literally, like, rain would start to fall, and Scooter would leave the booth to go roll up the windows on his car. <laughs> They'd take a bump shot of the bridge coming out from a break, and he'd see the traffic start, and he's like, I got to go wipe the traffic. <laughs> so I loved the – I always loved the announcers, but I wanted to play more than I wanted to announce. But then when I got to Vanderbilt and didn't play D1, that's when I started writing for the sports section of the right. paper. Right. So probably right there, freshman year in college, is where I became a spectator and right. had almost as much fun writing about these guys and doing profiles and right. writing for the Vanderbilt Hustler, which is the school mm-hmm. paper right. at Vanderbilt. So now you're a, you're, a, you're a news guy, right? You talk about politics on Morning Joe. You talk sure. about current affairs. You talk about a lot of stuff. But you also have a sports interest. Yep. And you, you know, are involved in, uh, with Olympics coverage, Super Bowl coverage. You've yeah. done all that stuff at NBC. Um, I mean, like, where's your heart? Like, you know, just which, which of the, you know, if I had to make you choose and say, hey, well, you can either, like, be talking about politics on Morning Joe and presidential politics, or you can be a sports guy. But you had to choose, which would you choose? Professionally, I would choose what I'm doing now, which is politics. But when I go home at night, do I turn on <laughs> CNN and MSNBC? Yeah. You do not. Never. No. Not even once. No, and that's no disrespect. It's just that I've been talking about it all day. Yeah. When I get home, I watch sports. For when what I it's d- worth, sports people do the exact opposite, right. by the way. No, After doing sports right. all day, you turn on MSNBC and you turn on And I've done the other way. I worked at CNN Sports Illustrated which was a 24-hour sports network and you're watching games you're logging the plays you're just it never stopped so when i got home i didn't want to go watch the game so it's sort of the 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 i think we've both done the wait for that sonics blazers game to get over with so you can go to bed the mariners and the a's are in extra innings (laughs) it's It's four in the morning (laughs) back when the trade deadline used to be at midnight oh Oh, my god (laughs) those west coast man it was the worst so i would say heart is sports yeah like if i have free time i'm watching Sports, okay. Definitely. I, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, because you were a part of the Super Bowl coverage last year. The Super Bowl is such a massive, overwhelming event. Just from a television perspective, is there a, is everybody like, we're, we're stepping up our game for this. Like, is there an extra level of pressure like an NBA yeah, Finals? I, I think from where we're coming from, from the Today Show, it's such a huge stage. Yeah. And it's a, right, hu- it's a right. huge deal for us to just to glom onto that. Yeah. You know, if you have 100 million right. people or however many are watching the interview with Savannah before. Um, so, yeah, that's a big deal for us, and you figure out how to do it well and expose yourself well to the public. But um, I always felt like from a sports point of view, it's fun to be there, yeah. but there are so many people there. It's like, do we all need to be here? <laughs> like, what's the what's the unique thing right. that I'm going to say yeah. about this event that 100 other people aren't going to say, which makes you good at it because that's the hard part. But, um, yeah, it's a big deal coming from news to roll into that and there's a reason we do our shows from there all week and we you know we we get the interview with the president is because it's a great obviously a huge platform for us so just think about this for a second you know I, i find the whole thing sort of hideous and partly because i'm a huge sports fan football is my least favorite sport the Super Bowl, I just I would never want to go. I have no interest in going to the Super Bowl. I had no interest in going even when it happened in New Jersey a couple of years I ago. Whatever that was, I know yeah. it's like, like you couldn't have paid me enough yeah. to go. You'd People still be in stuck in traffic trying <laughs> well, to get that's, back. That's so. no. <laughs> yeah, like two yeah. years later, it just seemed hideous to me, and and I'll, and I'll admit that. Although, like every other American, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl, right? So that's right. fine. So. As you prepare, I know this wasn't your interview, it was Savannah's interview, right? But just, yeah. I know you have some window into that. We're both friends of hers. Sure. You, you got an interview, she's interviewed Obama before, um, but this is, as you said, an interview where you're gonna be doing an interview with the president in front of a larger audience that you have ever 
done an interview with anybody ever before. Right. As big as the audience is the Today Show, it's a totally different thing. Right. So what kind of, how does that change the way that you think about preparing for such an interview? And how does it think, of, how does it change the way in which you conduct such an interview? I'll speak for Savannah. Well, uh, you know what I'm saying? I know you yeah. can, I know, I mean, if, no, I, if, I, you, if you had the opportunity yeah. to do it, I know how you'd think, you'd think yeah. about it differently than anything you've well, ever done. Yeah, you got to think about your audience, right? So you have a lot of people who don't know the Today Show, maybe aren't as dialed into the news as you are. Right. So you kind of broaden it out. You don't talk as much in shorthand as you might on Morning Joe, especially right. about politics and, yeah. and things that are happening in Washington. Um, I also think you want, you want a lot of meat in there, but you've got to sugarcoat it a little bit. And I think last year, I'm thinking about last year, Savannah did the whole bit in the kitchen with the guacamole and the yeah, beer yeah, before yeah, they yeah, went yeah, in yeah, and yeah. did a you know a 45 minute interview or whatever it was for the Today Show the next day. So, to me, a guy like Obama who like actually does know sports, yeah. I would for me that's a fun opportunity to ask him about the game and get into the sports a little bit. And you don't just do that, but I think if you can show a little bit of deafness in, in getting a real sports conversation going on for that audience watching the Super Bowl, while also hopefully talking to that audience of 500 or of, of a million, 100 million people, whatever it is, about how he's going to handle ISIS. You have an opportunity to do both. And I think not all people who do that halftime interview know sports well right. enough to right. pull right. that off. Right. Maybe right. most of them, actually, right. when you think about it. But there are some who can do it. Um, but for me, I, it'd be hard for me not to geek out and like get down in the weeds about the special, <laughs> the special teams, teams of right, the Broncos. Right, right. See if he remembers Kenny Battle. Right, on, exactly. Right exactly. At the time, he might. Exactly. So I think it's you know you you walk the line between being entertaining for a huge broad audience and doing your obligation as a journalist to ask about things that are actually happening in the country. Do you, do you buy my my well, Will and I were talking about this earlier in the podcast about about the ways in which Obama, when he's put in these settings, sports is one, we could talk about some others in a second, but when he's talking about sports um, and is you know, really geeking out in a lot of ways, I find them to be the most authentic interviews Obama does. Like yeah. I feel like they're the, the, the clearest window into where you can kind of say, oh, I know yeah. that guy. Yeah. You right. know, he not, that's not performative, or at least doesn't seem performative. It's right. just, you know, it seems true. He even you think pauses that, less. Like he's even more reactive right. to questions. Yes, right. he's less ponderous. Yeah. He just, he's, you know, he sounds more like the guy you'd be having a beer with. Right. Um, does that when, ring true to 100%. you? 100%. When you watch him do interviews with people like us, it's all he can do not to roll his eyes at being <laughs> right. sitting there. He's yeah, basically yeah. rolling his eyes with his face. Yeah. I don't, you know, your questions are absurd. I'll answer them, but um, he's um, he's perturbed, I think, by having yeah. to go through that process. But if you watch, pick your interview. If you watch him sit down with like Simmons, yeah. that Simmons interview was great. He's th yeah. he's just yeah. psyched to be there. From yeah. the minute he walks in the room, they have behind the scenes yeah. stuff. He walks and he sees Simmons, and he yeah. he sees him, and it means we're going to talk about the Bulls. Right, 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 this right, is what right. I really want right, to be talking right, right. about. It doesn't mean he's not serious about the other stuff, but it means that the, his passion. You asked about my heart. I think he loves sports, yeah. and he means it. And you can see right through a politician who doesn't mean it when. There's nothing worse than a politician who tries to co-opt some sports thing that's yeah. happening in the culture. Right. Whether it's Mitt Romney talking about sport. He, yeah. he or, enjoys yeah. watching Teddy sport. Teddy Kennedy with oh, Sammy Sousa. Sammy Sousa <laughs> and Mike McGuire. <laughs> Mike McGuire. Just why do they feel the right opportunity to do that? Yeah, like right at the peak. Right. Of the, everyone right. in the world is talking about these two guys. <laughs> right. And he calls them Sammy Sousa and Mike right. McGuire. Even your, even your bedridden, slightly Alzheimer's <laughs> riddled grandmother knew Sammy right. Sousa and Mark McGuire. Also, Sammy Sousa. Right. Like that's right. even the best. <laughs> but I would say to those politicians, just don't even do it. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, better to yeah. say nothing. But the real, the people who love sports, we had Chris Christie on today. The first yeah. time I ever met him, there was some big thing with the, happening with the teachers' unions in the state. And he just kind of laughed it off and said, you know what keeps me up 
at night. This is three, four years ago. The Blanken Mets can't find a third starter in that rotation. <laughs> and, like, that's a guy who, yeah. like, loves sports yeah. and can talk about it fluently. And there are, I mean, there are a lot, like Bill Clinton. You guys talked yeah. about Clinton yeah. to, to some extent. He came in, I remember one time before a Morning Joe interview, and you're just going with the icebreaker. It was, yeah. it was college football season. Yeah. And I said something about Arkansas. I guess they were playing well at the time. And he figures, yeah, they're going to be tough this year. <laughs> and he literally, he was like, well, you know, Thompson hurt his leg. <laughs> so we've got to get somebody in the yeah. slot. And it was like, he just full yeah. blast, he's like three, went down their depth chart. He's three deep into the depth he chart. Was. And you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> yeah, like, he how was. did he possibly know that? Right. It's not just Arkansas either. You know? Right. He's, like, he's a college football fan. Right. One, yeah. of his, one of his close aides, someone you probably know, told me, when they're like, they'll be in Dubai and he'll wake up in the middle of the night to watch the Arkansas yeah. basketball game. And not like the final four game, right, to watch like, Arkansas yeah, play, play LSU on a right, Tuesday, right, you right, know? Right, right. So th- it, when it's authentic, it really works. Yeah. And when it's not, it's bad. See, I, I have found, and this is kind of broadens the conversation a little bit, but there's a really interesting thing going on with Obama um, related to not just sports, but to an array of, of, of culturally kind of uh, tinged settings and forums that they are now putting him in. If you think about the Mark Marin podcast, you mm-hmm. think about the, the, the Simmons interview, you think about the Jerry Seinfeld interview, right. you think about now he got the Super Bowl thing coming up. You know, there's a theory at work in the White House driven by one particular person, Shayla Murray, who, who thinks that basically cable news is broken, broadcast news is broken, the Sunday shows are broken, that they're all a total waste of time. Obama doesn't like doing them, and they don't actually break through in an increasingly cluttered media landscape. And so her attitude is she's only, she'll do that stuff sometimes because she's got to tick the boxes. But what she wants Obama to do is do stuff that is weird. And that would be considered unthinkable ten years between ago. Between two ferns. Between starting yeah. with or, Gal- or the uh, Bear Grill show. Right. right. Yeah. Right. All right. all of yeah. all of those yeah. things. And they're all it's not like a, an accident, right? Part of it is it's late term Obama. He wants to, you know, throw out the rule book to some extent. Right. But part of it is a calculated thing that's going on in the White House that those are the things now right. that can break through because all the other stuff is just seen as so trite and so hackneyed right. that no one's really paying attention yeah. because the formula just basically throws up a huge a huge windscreen where people just go, oh, you know, he's honestly, he's sitting there on the set of Meet the Press or Face the Nation. I, that He's right. not going to say anything interesting there, right. and you just turn it off. Right. Where if he's with someone you've never heard of in yeah. some forum or someone you've heard a lot about, like Jerry Seinfeld, right. but it's a different yeah. venue. Oh, well, I can listen to that. And he seems to come alive. Yeah, I was actually thinking in those, that, too. In those, he that They're all, he's been great. Yeah. He's been great in all those settings. There's a subtext to all of those settings, too. At one point, he will always tell the interviewer, I'm so glad to be out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> like there are, there's this like very clear right. I'm escaping like they never let me move from this room to the other right. he comes alive in a way that I think it, like yeah, the Bear Grylls thing is a great example of this right. like he was just couldn't believe like Bear Grylls really didn't have a lot of questions for him right. and right. he was just like and, but, and Obama didn't care he's like can we just walk around right. for a right. while can we do something other than to talk about this I stuff? didn't understand why he was doing that beforehand and I didn't understand any better after yeah, I yeah. just thought it was oh, it was fun cool yeah it was fun yeah but he, even, I, it was even dutiful when he start, went into a spiel about like like, right. see, the, 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 the polar ice caps are right. – they felt like dutiful, right. like, yeah, I have to do exactly. this. Otherwise, they're not going to wonder why I'm here. Right. But I really just wanted to hang out Don't with you for a, a while. squirrel. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no, but I, I agree with you, and I think the whining that you hear from mainstream media or old media is in many ways concern. Oh, yeah. That the process is flying yeah. over their head and that they're not – yeah, um, it's the players. It's the anymore, players' so. tribune aspect right. of the way sports right. writers are really angry. No, it, it is, and no, I think it's the sound of existential dread. Exactly. No, that's that exactly is. right. Yeah. And I think um, 
what pops? Like, what are the things that you notice? And it's all the things you just listed. It's yeah. Mark Maron. He has a moment on Mark Maron because it's unexpected. Right. And if you think about a broadcast or a cable interview with the president, what what breaks through 60 minutes probably still breaks through, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. if he has a sure. moment on 60 sure. minutes. He's very comfortable in that setting, and that's yeah. helpful. But that's yeah, but beyond that, and I say that as someone who yeah. lives in this world, it's, it's hard to remember the interview he gave where you went, oh, yeah. that was a moment in his presidency. Where all these other ones, you can remember a moment. I from. mean, you got a couple different things going on. One of which is that he's an inherently kind of jaded guy. Right. Um, another which is that he has a certain amount of contempt for the political media. Yep. Um, another which is just kind of gotten bored with a lot of these formats. But there's just something about the fact that a lot of those people who are doing those interviews, whether it's Simmons or Mark Maron or uh, or Galifianakis, or, or Galifianakis, mm-hmm. Galifianakis thing was a little more of a stage thing. Yeah, but yeah. like even Seinfeld. Right. right you right. know, I thought the Seinfeld thing was brilliant, and yeah. part of it is that they are. Asking him things from a point of view and with a kind of um, a fresh eye that right. any political reporter would never think to ask those yeah, things. Right. It's just not on their on their set list, right? Those guys come in and they bring something different to the table, and you can tell that he's like, "Oh, this is kind of we're in a different yeah, place right, now." Right, like, right. okay, this is interesting. Right. I loved in the Seinfeld thing when uh, when he suddenly at one point turned the tables on on Seinfeld and said, "Now I'm going to interview you." Yeah. Yeah. You could tell he was suddenly yeah. like really right. in the conversation because yeah, that's right. not something you ever see Obama do right. to any of our colleagues in the political media where he's just trying to get through it you know right Right. and they also have the advantage those people of they're liberated from any journalistic responsibility in other words they can ask things that if we asked any of those questions they'd be like you're kissing you had you had 20 minutes with the president you kissed his butt you did all those things because you have a list of questions you need to get through based on what's happening in the world and all those people that you listed are free of those those obligations so so bring so bring it back to before we we, we have a couple more minutes here to go but i just want to bring it back to what we're to the moment we're in right now super bowl is coming up on sunday yep president obama is going to give us give an interview with gail king yeah a friend of ours um love gail king seems i mean she could do a fantastic interview with him on sunday if you were willie if you were uh, uh gail king's editorial assistant right now and mm-hmm. you knowing what gail's strengths are yes. and knowing a lot about what president obama has and hasn't discussed and being pretty well versed in the political moment we're in and where right. he's been in these past interviews what would you be telling gail king in terms of what she might what might be a unique way for her to get the most out of this interview um show up in an old corvette pick him up at the front door and drive <laughs> around the driveway drive around the circle exactly drive around the <laughs> and circle and take him to a polarized cap e- exactly <laughs> exactly take him outside and eat a squirrel um i think she, you know she's I think she has a relationship with him, first of all. Like, yeah. she knows him on a, on a level that maybe probably a lot of reporters don't. And so I think she can leverage that to go, go to places that some people won't go, you know, to go deep on. on um, I think he won't be as offended if she drills down on some of these things. Right. And he might not close off the way mm-hmm. he would for some of the rest of us because of the relationship he they might have. won't feel right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, she's, which is what she does well on, on the CBS morning show too, is she can, she really can do both. Okay. So they'll have loose, they'll have fun. They'll talk about the girls are getting so old and Michelle's ready to move out and all the, those sort of personal things. Um, but I would advise her, like, I think some people probably expecting it to be a little lighter, fun thing. Okay. She's got an opportunity from where I'm sitting to like go deep on yeah. what about Hillary? these emails isn't that offensive that you're secretary of state and it might surprise some people and he might be more open to talking about it with her i'm sitting over here racking my brain right now trying to think of an interview with president obama with an african-american journalist that has been memorable 
like in the entirety of his of his well, of his time. There may have been one. I'm just not thinking. Robin pre- Roberts with the gay marriage. Robin Roberts and yeah. gay marriage. Great. That's yeah. a good Ripper example. Ripper Brown yeah. did a really good one for Grantland. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a That's very right. good one. Yeah, Ripper yeah. Brown was Robert very good. Brown's yeah. very good. Yeah. I agree with that too. Yeah. But there's an interesting thing about that. You know, there's a place you can get to. I mean, she. I mean, the obviously not suggesting that Gail should be somehow a representative of African American consciousness or whatever. But there is a thing, you know, where he's done some of his most revealing interviews about a lot of things. A lot of these recently, we're all talking about white guys. It's like yep. Mark Maron, Jerry Seinfeld, right. etc. There's a kind of an open door there that it seemed like you you could imagine getting into a place, not with any particular question, but there's a relationship there that a conversation that could happen between the two of them would be different than it would be with, you know, pretty much any white journalist. Yeah, and I don't think she brings, you know, if you have Savannah or O'Reilly or Matt Lauer, any of those guys, there's there's a hard journalistic edge to her. And I think she's able to not... She's not. She won't make him defensive. I don't think. You know, he won't go in with his battle armor on, and that might open him up to some more interesting answers. I right. think the key question will really be what is his reaction to the impending Pataki presidency? Yes. Right. Because this is what everybody right. knows. Like again, people from the future are possessing this information <laughs> totally that key. we don't. All right. So did they, have they found Pataki? And have they legitimately found <laughs> him and told him that he wants? All right. I ask. I ask this last question because it's really you know you just gotta ask it. Who you got in the game? I got Cam. Yeah. I got Cam. That yeah. the Broncos defense is awesome, and I didn't realize they were awesome because yeah. I haven't paid attention yeah. to them all year until that game when Brady was on his butt for yeah. three and a half hours. Cam's too good. And they have a good defense, too. And I th- I'm just seeing a lot of Peyton flutter balls yeah. and the, Cam doing his thing. Yeah, are, you pro th- are you pro those pants, the Cam Newton pants he wore yesterday? Oh, I didn't see them. Oh, you haven't yeah. seen the pants? No. Oh, my God. You oh, will dear see God. <laughs> Oh, my <laughs> God. The Cam Newton pants. you got to go look at these pants. <laughs> okay, gotta you got to look yeah. at them, and then you got to wear a pair. you got to yeah. get a pair for yourself. I'm wearing my look, under my would, jeans right now. Okay, tear away jeans. Yeah, tear away you jeans. would look incredible in those pants. Will, who you got those. Who you got in the game? I'm of the – the Panthers' weakness is their secondary, and unfortunately the Broncos, sad to say, have a guy that really can't throw it farther than like 20, 25 yards right now. So I actually – I'm a little worried this one's going to turn out like the last Broncos Super Bowl two years ago. I can see – if Carolina gets ahead quickly, which is what they've done constantly, right if they can get ahead quickly, I just don't see how Denver's going to be able to come back, and they're going to try to force it more. It brings up the terrifying scenario – the worst case scenario, which is Peyton Manning and what is pretty clearly going to be his last game. It's hard to imagine yeah. him coming yeah. back at this point. Yeah. There's, if they fall behind by a lot, it's very possible they may have to bring in Brock, Brock Osweiler because oh. he can throw it oh. downfield. Oh. Can you imagine do him? if Peyton Manning – I mean, if you want to win the Super Bowl, I mean, if you're right. down 20 points, Peyton Manning cannot bring you back. Oh. He just can't throw it far enough to do it. Uh, it's just oh kind of God. a terrifying thought. I know. I know. It's a little terrifying <laughs> oh, to even think awkward. about. What so. a way to end your career. Uh, I gotta say, and I with do, an HGH scandal hanging <laughs> over your head. I do not uh. have a. I do not have a dog in that game. This in this fight whatsoever. I don't um, uh, but I gotta say that the one thing I would like to see is for, and I, I don't. I have no special affection for Peyton Manning, but I don't desire for that man to be humiliated. Right. On the world's right. biggest stage in his last game in right. professional sports. Exactly. I don't want, like. Let's exactly. at least keep it close, guys. Like you know, I right. think I think Panthers gonna win too, but yeah. Yeah. I, just a respectable yeah. right. showing that doesn't make him like right. doesn't crush his spirit and put a horrible right. like. Upside down punk, uh, right. exclamation yeah. point uh, on, the on other his hand, career. Because of these low expectations, imagine he wins the game. Oh and my he God. has some Peyton Epic. Manning pulls it out of his. I mean, that would be. I mean, it would be amazing. It would be amazing. I don't think it's gonna happen because it would show 
him physically capable of something that we've frankly not been able to see physically capable right. of doing all year. But if so. he just like grinded he's got one left. out, he's got gritty, one left. Right. He's got one throw left the in the last arm. Stand. Yeah, that mm. would be fun. All right, so now we're gonna this, we're gonna bring this Culture Caucus podcast to a close. Willie Geist, you're great and fabulous. Uh, I loved you in Debbie Does Dallas Part oh, Six. Oh, that was incredible. Did you see that? As the carpenter. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> as, the, as, as the carpenter with the cod piece. Um, Will Leach, always a pleasure to be with you um, doing Culture Caucus. Um, we're gonna for we're gonna have a special web extra if you can have that for a podcast where you guys were gonna talk about the Illini for about another hour and a half. It's so, fascinating. Fascinating so, so, stuff. so all you pod, if you guys want to look for that, um, we'll. I'm sure you, you will. Some special code. <laughs> we'll spend some special codes. So Three can people that. in Centralia will uh, listen yeah, to exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Monticello and Sickle, <laughs> but that's it. So, uh, Willie, uh, Will, this is John Heilman uh, signing off for episode three of the Culture Caucus. You can find us where, Will? It's on iTunes. You can also uh, email us at culturecaucus at gmail.com. And you can find us, of course, at Bloomberg Politics. Awesome. Good day. Leave, and re- leave us a review on the iTunes, but mostly. Oh, please do. Yes, review yes. us. That'd be fabulous. Good and one. say nice things about Willie and his gifts. 